Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got uh, Christer, Christopher Palomares and, of course, New England's own uh, James Lincoln. And out in the Rocky Mountains, we've got uh, Soundtrack's own George Bogatuck with us again. We're going to be talking about the new Tsunami 2s and all the neat things that you can do with it. Sure, be glad to help you out. All right, Chris. Yeah, uh, well, first time, I guess this would be on the horn with George here. And my first question, let's start off Tsunami 2 at the beginning. I'm just wondering how how and what decoder should we pick and what things that should what things should we think about when we're picking a new decoder to go into a model? Well, there's actually many, many factors to kind of take in. And one of the things that we've done is we've consolidated board formats. So you don't have a whole lot of choices. So the choices are more streamlined. But um, to start with, the first thing I would say is we actually have a, a decoder selector that we've built and put on the website where you can uh, simply just select the the scale to start with and then you can select the uh the manufacturer so you could start with an athern or or others that are out there and then when you click on that it'll give you a full list of all the models of that particular manufacturer that we've looked at to identify okay this would be the best uh choice and uh and then we've also got speaker selection in there as well and we have it for both the Tsunami 2 and the Economy product. So let's say, for example, if we were going to do an Athern CF7, uh, first you would click on HO, and then you would click on Athern, and it'll pull up the list of Genesis, and then below that are the ready-to-roll uh, models, and you'll find the CF7 there, and you'll see that, uh, in this case, we've selected to use the TSU PNP, which is the board replacement style. Um, to do to replace the circuit board that's in there so there are a few different choices or a few different ways to do that and we've gone through and and looked at most of the major manufacturers that are out there uh you won't find any brass um because there's so many variables in that but uh most of the major uh manufacturers like Athern, walther's atlas um bowser intermountain and others are all listed so that's be where I'd start, and it's at soundtracks.com, and over along the top there, you'll see a bunch of different tabs, and to the far right, it says decoder selector. So you'll click on that, and it'll walk you through step by step. Um, beyond that, uh, it, uh, there's the other factors you take into account are the different board formats and what's going to best fit, because, again, these are models that we've looked at that I can say with certainty this particular decoder is going to fit in the model. So let's say you you have a model that's not there so then you have to look at space availability um on our website we do have all of the dimensions for each of our decoders and so to kind of start we'll go through the just kind of a quick rundown of the family and the uh, highlights so first we start with our tsu 1100 uh, which was the first one that we announced in the tsunami 2 product line it's a one amp uh four function uh decoder and it's a nice, small, concise package. It's a purple shrink wrap universal style. So universal style means it's got the wires that you would hardwire in. Um, and uh, so the decoder dimensions, it's 10 and a half millimeters wide by 27 long, which is about three eighths of an inch by an inch long. 
um, small enough that it'll fit in an in-scale narrowhood diesel. Um, now, the biggest thing, we'll talk about this here in a minute, is the, the current rating. This is a one-amp decoder. Um, so I want to point that out, and we'll talk about that when I get through the, the family here. Um, the next one we have is our TSU 2200, and the 2200 is a, a two-amp, uh, six-function universal-style decoder. And this one, I'm doing this by memory, so I apologize, but I want to say it's about 68 millimeters wide, which is not, not right. That's, that's way too big. Um, it's about 20 millimeters wide. I'm sorry. I'm thinking 0.68 inches, but it, it uses the, the nine pin uh, flat JST connector uh, as the harness, as the power harness. And you'll find that connector in a lot of the Athern products as their JST or DCC quick plug. Um, but it has nine wires on it. And then the other side, there is the, the four wire harness for the two additional functions and the speakers. Um, and that, like I said, that's a two watt, uh, two amp. And the key here is this is a two watt amplifier as well. So it's a very strong amplifier. And so with this particular decoder, you'll want to pay attention to the rating on your speaker that, that you choose. Um, the next one in the product line would be the uh, TSU-PNP, and the this is the board replacement style. And where this differs from our original Tsunami decoder product line is this uh, is one board that condenses all of the different mounting provisions for the major manufacturers into a single uh, circuit board. So it's easy to mount inside the model, whether you're using the tabs that you'll find in the Athern Genesis or the Atlas models. Um, if you're using the screws like you'll see in the Cotto models or any of those other type of things, they're all the mounts are there and they have tabs on the ends of the decoder to wire it up in. So it's a board replacement style. Um, this also is a two amp, uh, two watt, six function decoder. Um, this one is very, very popular uh, because most of the major uh, diesel locomotives that you're going to find have a circuit board of some form in them. And this is a nice, quick, easy replacement that if you don't have one of the prescribed mounts, you can always mount it with some double stick foam tape inside the model. Um, and that one's been real popular. Uh, then we go into the, uh, the TSU-21PNEM, and this is a 21-pin decoder that follows the NEM specs to uh, be able to utilize in, mo in like the Atlas, the Intermountain, Bowser, and others that are using that 21-pin uh, format. Uh, this will allow you to then just simply plug it into the model. Um, and then coming soon, we'll have our TSU 4400. This is a four-amp, uh, six-function decoder also that'll be designed for O and larger scales. Uh, that'll allow you to you know expand into a market we haven't been servicing. Um, now, when you go into sound selection, I think we touched on this a little bit last time, but the uh, we have one steam decoder, and in that steam decoder are basically all the choices you can imagine to customize the decoder to follow whichever model you're going to install it into. So there are 10 exhaust chuffs to choose from. There are 63 whistles to choose from. There are 12 different bells with varying ring rates, giving you 53 different options to choose for the bell. 
Um, you've got 10 air compressors, eight steam dynamos, including double and triple dynamos for some of the more modern steam uh, excursions. But also you can customize the uh, steam decoder to uh, have a power reverse or a manual Johnson bar. You can do a lifting or a non-lifting type injector, and you can even select the fuel type. Uh, so if you're doing a wood burner or if you've got hand-shoveled coal, uh, auger-fed coal or a uh, oil burner with an atomizer, you'll have the respective sounds. And one of the functions in the new Tsunami 2 is a fuel loading sequence, and it will switch based on what you've selected for the model, so you don't get a one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, and then uh, uh, so you've got a lot of choices. You can do conventional rod articulated exhaust. Uh, you can have the articulated with and without wheel slip. And the wheel slip is is characterized by the sounds of the two sets of drivers moving in and out of sync of each other on an articulated locomotive. And then uh, uh, there's four different rates of that, none slow, medium, and fast. And you can choose which one you, you like. And there's even support for a three-cylinder. So if you're modeling one of the big UP9000s or if you're doing a small shay that you've selected the geared locomotive so you get that slight offbeat cadence uh, for the exhaust chuff. So on the steam, you pick a steam decoder, and those are available in the TSU 1100, the TSU 2200, and the TSU 21P. And then, of course, coming soon will be in the uh, TSU 4400. Now, moving over to diesel, we, we've divided our diesels up into four different decoders, and they're, they're grouped by family. So you have the EMD decoder, and there are nine different diesel uh, prime mover sounds on the one decoder that are all EMD-related. Uh, then you have one for GE, one for Alco, and then you have the last one is called Baldwin and others, uh, which I lovingly refer to as the land of misfit toys. And the reason for that is because the, uh, it's basically a, con a collection of all of the different, uh, prime movers that didn't justify a separate, uh, part number in the catalog. So you have four Baldwins, there's the Galloping Goose, there's a dual Whitcomb, and uh, Fairbanks Morris all on that decoder. Um, and those are available throughout the entire product line. So every one of those boards that I've mentioned earlier do have the options for the diesel. Um, and then we get into the electric, and the electric decoder has a whole lot of different settings that allow you to reproduce the sounds of a light traction, trolley, streetcar, anything like that, all the way up to a heavy electric locomotive and everything in between um, with different sounds to choose from different compressors, different bells, uh, everything that you can choose from to customize on that one. And that one's available in the TSU 1100, the 2200, uh, the 21 PNEM and the, uh, and will be the 4400. Um, so that, that's kind of the different decoder selection. Now, one of the other things I mentioned also was talking about uh, current draw on the motor. And this one's a very important one. Um, it's kind of often overlooked and misunderstood. And the decoder's current rating is based on stall current of the motor. And that is what that motor is going to draw when it is completely locked up and sitting still, but still receiving full power. Um, so to test this, you're going to take your DC power pack, apply power to your motor, and you're going to set the DC power pack about equivalent to what your DCC track voltages because that'll vary based on your DCC system. And because of that, 
so you'll you'll need to measure that first, and then you'll set the power pack to match your DCC system. And then once you have that, then you're going to stop the motor, and you're basically going to physically stop it. And then you're going to have an ammeter in line with one of the leads, and that's going to give you a a, a current rating. And that current is going to be what's the equivalent of the stall. There's another there's other ways to do it, but that's the way we prescribe. It's the easiest to to follow. When uh, we talk about stall current, there's a lot of people out there misunderstandings that'll say, well, I've never locked up my locomotive, so I don't need to worry about stall current. I just measure slipping. And what they're trying to compare that to is when the wheels are slipping on the rails. And it's not an accurate comparison. And the reason is, is because a decoder does not work the same way a power pack works. It doesn't actually vary the voltage, uh, one, two, three volts constant to the motor depending on what your throttle setting is. What it actually does is it sends pulses of full track voltage, but for short periods of time. And then as you increase the throttle, the duration of the on time for that power to the motor is increased to make it turn faster. So basically power to the motor is either on or off. And the reason stall current is relevant is because every time you go from zero to speed step one, you're recreating a stall condition, even though your motor isn't locked up or your drivers are not locked up, but that motor is sitting still and receiving that first pulse of 14 volts or whatever it is. And so every time you go from zero to speed step one, you recreate that stall condition. And so that's why you need to measure stall current accurately. Um, so that kind of gives you an overview. Uh, hopefully I didn't lose you guys too much. No, you didn't actually. Um kind of building up on, on, on stall current and looking at some of the other things that, that are now coming on the Tsunami 2. I, I noticed that there's like a little plug on there and it mentions the current keeper. Um, could you explain a little bit more about what we need to think about with current keeper and the decoders that we pick, stall currents, and tie it all together as will we need to replace our motors from some of our older locomotives? Um, I'd say it vary based on the model. And again, you're going to do your stall current. And here, here's kind of an example. Um, in the original Tsunami product line, we had uh, gone out and did some recordings with uh, uh, some Baldwin locomotives, including the VO1000. And on this particular, we, or we've got the recordings, we have everything ready to go. So we were looking to introduce it into the product line. And we were deciding whether we were going to put it into TSU 1000 and also the TSU 750. So we went and got one of the commercially available models that was out there. This was a, uh, um, a Stewart model at the time that was powered with a Canon motor. Now, if you guys are familiar with the Canon motors, you know, they run beautifully, but when we did yeah. a stall current test at, at 16 volts, it was stalling at 1.75 amps. And the TSU 750 is, had a three-quarter amp rating. And so to put that uh, sound file onto the TSU 750 is asking for repairs uh, because they'll burn out the motor drivers because the, the, it's going to tax that, that current draw. So that's, part of, that's one of the reasons why we illustrate to measure the stall current is because even though you have a really nice moving motor, it may or may not stall out at a high current and so this was a like i said a cannon motor 
Um, so stall current's always something that you want to do. Uh, the big open frame Pittman motors tend to be current hogs, but you find a lot of the, the newer stuff are using more efficient five-pole motors, uh, things like that, and you'll see that the current draw is a lot lower. Um, some of the older, uh, like even going back to the blue box days, this is, you know, before the early uh, Athern, uh, those silver can, those silver motors that they had in the drive lines uh, before they replaced them with the gold ones. Um, those silver ones drew a lot more current than the gold ones, and the gold ones are still close to an amp. So that's kind of where you have to look at it. Now, speaking to the current keeper, we've made, with the original product line, we did not have provisions for a current keeper. And part of the reason was it wasn't something that was very popular at the time, but the current keeper basically will allow uh, power to be supplied to the decoder, to the motor, and to the sound, to the amplifier when power is lost on the track. So let's say, for example, if you run over a, a, a dirty section of track or if somebody has a lot of dead frogs in their yard, what can happen is you'll see a lot of interruption because the decoder can't work without power, just like a computer can't work without power. So the original Tsunami had a capacitor supplied with it, but admittedly it was only there to keep the processor alive and only for about half a second, which is usually enough to, to re-energize the processor and get it going. But with the uh, current keeper, we're getting a lot more where people can run, you know, three, five, ten seconds without uh, power applied, which is good, but also it's a bad because that also means it's not receiving a DCC signal. So, uh, but again, like I said, the interruptions are usually not ten seconds long, so it usually doesn't have an issue. So when we built the new product line, we built it with the current keeper in mind, so it was a quick, easy addition. Uh, most of the decoders have a two-pin uh, plug that just plugs right in with the current keeper harness that's supplied. Um, the exceptions would be the TSU 1100 because of its small size. Uh, there are wires provided that you can simply solder to during your installation process and add the current keeper. Um, on the TSU uh, 21P NEM, there are solder pads on the board that you can solder the two that would allow you to add the current keeper, but everything else has a two pin connector that's easily accessible and just plugs right in. Thank you for that, George. Uh, it, it gets a little hairy when you start thinking about like how long a, a, a current keeper will last and then also just current draw through a motor. Uh, do, do you find that generally a current keeper will, will last a little, about how long with like uh, a current hog type motor, like an older Athern, I'd say, gold motor, open frame motor? Um, you'll probably see about two to five, about two to five seconds. But some of the, you know, some of the more efficient ones, like I said, we've seen up to 10 seconds. Uh, the one thing I did forget to mention, and I do want to point out, the original Tsunami decoder product line, the, the processor and the amplifier were, were power hogs. And so with no motor attached, the current keeper would keep the original Tsunami alive for about five to seven seconds. Um, and so they were a little more susceptible to power losses. But with the new hardware and the new, the new processor and everything, they're a lot more efficient. They tend to sip current rather than drink it. And so 
with that, the uh, like I said, all things being equal, take the motor out of the equation. If you were to take track power off with a fully charged current keeper on the new hardware, the sound will run for about 30 to 45 seconds. Wow, that, that's that's a good amount of time. Um, it's, there's been times I've been working on stuff in the garage, and I'll be done with it. I'll go upstairs to finish the symbol or whatever, take it off the track, walk through the living room, up the stairs into where I have my workbench, and it, the power, the sound will cut out by the time I put it down on the work table. <laughs> so it, it's it's a lot more efficient, and so the the hardware initially right off the bat is less susceptible to power losses. Um, the other thing is I will say there are some capacitors on the circuit boards themselves that basically supplant the uh, uh, additional 220 that was supplied with the original tsunamis. And so it'll help keep it alive and minimize those interruptions, but the current keeper's there if you do need more or, or uh, you know, decide that you, you're having a lot of interruptions. Well, um, the, the next part of my questions is, uh, pretty much stemming around the speaker uh, now mm-hmm. now soundtracks has a lot of different speaker uh formats and sizes uh, well what's the magic what, what would you suggest as the most ideal setup for a locomotive like a gpsd style locomotive steam locomotive stuff like that where do we the go biggest thing that would fit the the biggest speaker that'll fit is always going to be the best and and here's why is when when you're looking at just audio in in general speakers that we use in our models are going to be uh, considered tweeters by audio standards so everything that's basically about the size of your hand or smaller would be considered a tweeter and think of this if you look at uh, your surround sound system at home you've got five satellite speakers that are fairly you know good size, but they're still small. And then your subwoofer is a big uh, cabinet looking thing that you hide in the corner or sitting, you know, and that's what a subwoofer would be. Um, So the frequency range is always limited. And what happens is the smaller you go, the frequency range is going to be even more limited. And frequency range is defined by the travel that the speaker cone is able to do. Um, And so when you get smaller speakers, that speaker, that cone can only move so fast or so far. And that's what we, that's, what's defined as frequency or, or the, you know, the spectrum of the sound. And then the, the, uh, power of that air being moved is what we inter our ears interpret as volume. And again, a bigger speaker is going to be able to move a larger volume of air than a smaller speaker. So, and always it's going to be the biggest thing. Now, uh, you know, most of my narrow hood diesels, I tend to use our 16 by 35 millimeter speaker. It's a good one watt. Uh, uh, I think it's a two watt peak or one and a half watt peak uh, speaker and has a pretty good frequency range uh, for the size. Um, now we've got also added into the product line uh, last year, we added in the mini cubes, which are the uh, uh, repurposed cell phone speakers. And, what you trade off a little bit of a frequency range for the size, but then the convenience of fitting is, is a lot easier because you can fit it into a lot tighter spaces than you could that big 16 by 35. Um, the bigger one we have is I think 13 by nine, 
I'm sorry, it's 15 by 11, uh, the, the, the dimensions of the speaker. And so you can fit that into a lot. You could actually fit two or three of those into the space that the 16 by 35 would fit. And what that does is when you have more speaker, again, you're moving more air. So the volume is going to be a little louder. Um, so the, those are some of the things to take into consideration, but it's always going to be the biggest one that you can fit. And then depending on if you, if you have the ability provisions or even the talent to, uh, cut weights to make room for speakers, sometimes that may be necessary. Uh, if you go back to some of the early, uh, blue box proto, uh, 2000 units where they, there was no space wasted that wasn't filled with weight. And so it becomes a little bit more tricky to fit a speaker into those because you do have to cut weight um, or you can fit a smaller, you know, compromise with a little bit smaller speaker, put it in the cab. And I've done both. And you can hear the difference between the two. Um, and now one of the other tools we do have in our product in, in the Tsunami is the seven band equalizer. And the equalizer allows you to adjust the frequency range to match that of your speaker that you choose. So if you've got a smaller speaker, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna cut the lowest frequencies that the speaker physically cannot reproduce. And what that does is if the speaker's trying to reproduce a frequency range that it physically can't, what's gonna happen is you're gonna get a little bit of distortion in the sound. So if you cut that frequency range out that the decoder, so the decoder's not trying, or I'm sorry, yeah, the speaker's not trying to reproduce that frequency range that it can't, then the frequency ranges that it can are going to come through a lot more clean. And then you can boost those uh, frequency ranges to match the spectrum of the speaker. And what will happen is you get a nice cleaner signal and it'll sound a lot better because you're, like I said, you're minimizing and eliminating that distortion. Um, and we've also got a, a product, I mean, a, a feature in the Tsunami 2 called a high pass filter, which is basically a down and dirty way of doing that you look at your speaker and its frequency range and let's say it's you know somewhere around 250 or 300 hertz then you would set the high pass filter to eliminate everything below that frequency range and then you can use your equalizer to maximize its strength and boost certain frequencies in there and that way you get a nice clean true to life re reproduction of the sound and it comes through like i said a lot cleaner um and crisper so, well, those are those are very good points because on the MRH forums, I think it was started in uh, 2014. There was a cell phone thread, and Professor Kleiser, mm -hmm. where's he? Australia, I think it's where he is. He's just yes, yeah. He's uh, his name's John, but uh, everybody goes he he goes by um, Professor Kleisler. Uh, but, yeah, he's from, um, I believe, Sydney, Australia. And he's, uh, I believe, a sound engineer. He posted some screenshots of, I'm going to say oscilloscopes, and that's probably the, the wrong term, of some sound uh, soundtrack, sound profiles. And amazingly, I thought amazingly, some of your decoders were going in the sub-200 range down to around... 170 some of them were bouncing as low as 150 mm -hmm. and so he helped me using like you said that uh, seven band graphic equalizer on the tsunami 
fine-tune three uh, 16-millimeter diameter uh, sugar cubes. Well, not a sugar cube, more like a sugar wafer. But And mm-hmm. I'll send you a link on my SD7, or I'm sorry, 40-2, with those three speakers, mm-hmm. with the uh, graphic equalizer, and it's like you said, uh, CV 153, 150, or 154, 155, which are below the range. Mm-hmm. Those just, you know, all but got, uh, muted out. 156 bumped up, 157 curtailed, and then 158, where a lot of the sound energy was in, uh, that lower mid range was, uh, significantly cut back. This thing growls. I'll send you a video link, uh, People are amazed when they hear this <laughs> Athern SD40-2 growling, even at idle. Yeah. But, you know, it was the, well, I wired the speakers series parallel, built an enclosure into the okay into the body for them. And I actually got the speakers from TVW Miniatures because he's the only guy I've ever seen with round ones. And I was just blown away by what you can get because your point is valid too. Yeah, the more air you can move, the 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 more volume you're going to perceive. So I'm glad, really mm-hmm. glad you guys kept the uh, equalizer and I'm excited about that high-pass filter. That's great. I, I will point out it, the, the CVs did move. It's not 153 through 160 okay. anymore with the new hardware. It's, the, it's in... Uh, TVs 225 through 232. Okay, make it hard on me. Now I've got to memorize new numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is it works exactly the same way. There was no changes to it because we've gotten a lot of, of praises and accolades because of the way the equalizer did work. And, you know, speaking exactly to your point, I mean, we do load the decoder with the full profile. So if you were to hook this up to your stereo, you would hear the full spectrum of the range. And again, like I said, you're trying to get large uh, 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 frequency range out of this little yeah. tiny speaker. So there's going to be, you know, trade-offs. And so we've given you that tool to do exactly what, you, what you're doing is maximize the, the efficiency of the speaker. Um, the other, un, you know, the, I, I would say lesser known purpose of the equalizer, it also alters the overall tone. So you can have two or three locomotives with the same prime mover and they'll each sound just a little bit differently if you adjust the spectrum a little bit. Yeah, so that's a that's an excellent point. It gives you the ability point. to customize. That's one of the reasons why Professor Kleiser really likes tsunamis is because you have the equalizer and you're able to fine tune the sound for the speaker uh, in whichever unit you're using, which most other decoders you can't. Right. I believe he's also posted. Um, the settings you should do, you know, so he goes so far as to figure out, you know, X and Y locomotive and he'll, he will guide people through using that to uh, oh. fine tune. Yeah, stuff. that uh, thread exploded about a month ago again, a number of people on there and the professor was again offering suggestions of, okay, let's go here for this CV, set this range and I mean, his uh, suggestions are just dead nuts on. The man knows what he's talking about. Okay. Yeah, he does know what he's talking about. It's just, um, um, I like John immensely. <laughs> but, 
there's a big difference between having a conversation with him on, on, a, on a forum and a conversation with him um, like in a podcast or something. But he is just – it is amazing that he has that much information about so many things. Okay. Uh, yeah, you'd have, to, you'd have to have a conversation with him. But yeah, he's – I once had a conversation with him. I was in, I was in Best Buy looking to buy SD cards for my camera. And I was texting him. <laughs> I was texting him, and he's in Australia. I'm, text, I'm texting him, and he's saying, "If you want to do this with the camera, buy this, and if you want to do this with the camera, buy yeah. that." And it, he's dead nuts on. He's he's amazing. All right. Well, George, continue on. Didn't mean to break the train of thought. No, that's. Uh... Oh no! What I said it gives you a chance to take a breath and take a drink of water. Oh. Yeah, I get to do that on occasion. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I guess hopefully that's helped giving you some some tips on picking a decoder. And like I said, we tried to streamline the the choices so that you know for for you as the user, you have less you know less to have to to worry about making the choice and you know getting home and finding out that oh this one you know is may not be the best choice. And you know the other side of that too is there's you know there's more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. And I've got to co- I've got locomotives that I've done universal style and I've done and I've done board replacement style and both options work well in it. It just depends on which is the best. And so when we put that that selector together, uh, we tried to make it easiest for the installer um, to pick the locomotive or to pick the decoder with the least amount of work, but when we did it also, we kind of made, you know, like say, for example, if, if uh, somebody did need to remove weight, uh, we did it in such a way that if somebody did not necessarily have access to a milling machine could still be able to perform the, the, um, the modifications at home with a, a small metal hack, hacksaw, a file and a little bit of patience um can can make any of these modifications because that's one of my biggest things when I'm doing these uh which I'll get to in a second called app notes um is that it's something that can be done at home uh now to address the app note if you're, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about on the previous generation we had uh installation documents that would show step by step how to install it into various models and uh, I'll be honest with you, we're behind in getting them updated uh, to the new hardware. Uh, things like pick, you know, doing new photographs with it instead of having the other the, the original tsunamis in there. But the installation procedure would be the same, and these you can find on the uh, in the documentation on our website. And like I said, there's some of the older ones. Uh, they're all the older tsunami installs. We're trying to work on getting some of the newer ones and get the updates. But the, like I said, the procedure is still the same. And some of the ones that I've done, I've, there are a lot of Athen because, you know, personally, I model 1978. So SD40s, GP38s, uh, GP15s, there's a lot of those that you'll see in there um, in the app notes that we've already done. But there's a whole bunch of different other ones. And like I said, each one is slightly addressed a little bit differently. But again, it, it, there's more than one way to do it. And, and the way I did it may not necessarily be the best way or it may not be the only way. Um, for example, I'll, I'll say one of the more difficult installations 
is probably the Atherin SW1500 uh, just be because the space is at a premium inside that, which is, you know, and I hate to waste cab space because, you know, Chris, you guys put a lot of work into that cab detail and it's gorgeous and it's very visible through those windows. So I hate to sacrifice it. And I've seen installations where people will take it out and use that to mount the speaker. And so when I looked at this model, I looked at it for probably six months before the light bulb went on and I figured out a way to be able to incorporate a board replacement decoder and a speaker without having to take the the, the cab detail out. And that's in, illustrated on the app note. And uh, like I said, I need to get time to get it updated to reflect the new uh, Tsunami 2 hardware. But the procedure would still be the same because the board is virtually identical and, uh, as far as footprint wise to what our previous decoders were in the board formats. Um, so the other side of that is, is, you know, if you do have a model that you're not sure, sure of, uh, you could give us a call. And if we haven't done it, looked at it, or seen the model, and I will say there are a lot of them that I've seen that may not necessarily be on the the uh, selector due to, to either obsolescence or age of it. For example, the MRC years ago used to do a C420, and they're not very common to be found anymore, so they're not listed on the on the decoder selector at all. But I could probably guide you on what the decoder and installation would be, but it's just one of those things of getting it updated and getting time put into it. But like I was getting at is you could call us anytime. And if you can, if I don't know the model or Justin, who, who's the primary face of our tech support, if either of us are not familiar with that particular model, if you could pop the shell, send the picture to us, uh, we could look at it and make recommendations based on our experience to say, okay, if I was doing this model, I would try to put it here and here. But of course, without the model in front of us, it's a suggestion, not necessarily a, a, a definitive guide because I can't take the measurements through a photograph or two. So it's based on what my experience would be or, or Justin's experience would be, but we can help guide you uh, worst case. And then of course, there's always hobby shops that we have throughout the country that if you don't feel comfortable doing the installation can do, offer the installation services for you. And if your local shop doesn't, then uh, we can always recommend somebody that you could uh, mail your locomotive to and, and get the installation and everything done and sent back to you. Hopefully, hopefully that'll help shed a little bit of light as far as decoder selection. So Paul, we'll have to get you uh, to your store to get you, get you a decoder or two to get in there to try it out. Yeah, it, it, it's all on him now. <laughs> exactly. You can put down the paintbrush, Paul. It's it's time to pick up the side. Okay, I'll put down the camera and everything like well, that. Think, think, uh, well, I was going to say, think of it this way. You said you were working on track and the scenery and yeah. everything. What better motivator to get a layout built than having a new Tsunami 2 decoder-equipped locomotive? Um, I'll be honest with you, and Chris, you've seen my layout. I built that and had it mostly scenic in the span of about three months because I knew we were working on the Tsunami 2 project and with that, at that point in time, I had a basically the bare foam with the wooden frame around it and was trying to decide on what I wanted to do. And so knowing that project was coming around and seeing all the cool things the engineers were working on, that motivated me to get out there and lay the track and get the, the layout done so I had some place to play with it. No, I, I totally understand that. Uh, on the podcast Facebook page, I think I put up four, maybe five 
three to seven minute videos, uh, highly scenic, you know, trains run by, but there's a six foot section of the railroad that is intensely uh, scenic with trees and that kind of stuff, rock. Everything else is just bare boards, but so I was shooting these videos. Gotcha. Because uh, I, you're right, George. I mean, sometimes you, we go get it done just so we can watch a train run through an actual scene. And I've got uh, mm -hmm. two suspect uh, locomotives uh, for the first two Tsunami 2s to go in. Uh, 70s generation uh, GEs. So we shall okay. see what happens. They may get ordered tomorrow. Uh, I think uh, Bob at uh, an affair with trains is in his new store, so I may shoot him a web order. Uh, okay. I hadn't talked with him in a while. I didn't realize he moved. Yes, he did. He's actually in a uh, – it's a smaller location, but it's in a retail environment. So okay. before, you know, again, I worked for him for a couple of years, especially after I retired, you know, to have a 25 by 17 display HO Railroad. Don't have that at the new store, mm -hmm. but the new store is in a rate, like I said, a retail setting, high traffic uh, streets, both directions. He's at an intersection. So it should be very, very good for him. That's he good. doesn't have to be a destination now. He's in a place where he can be discovered. Gotcha. So, oh, good. But yeah, good. I've, I'm uh, glad to hear it. Though. I've got a uh, order for push brooms and into it to uh, detail out this country house that the trains run by. So they're Atlas locomotives. So there should be enough room in there for what the board. Are those uh, the LED or bulb models that you uh, have? I changed them out to uh, LEDs. I think, Chris, they were older models. They were probably early 2000 era. And I... That was right about when they were switching yeah. around. And so, I mean, they had a, you know, a typical control board in there. Uh, some guy had come into the store and... His girlfriend had given him the alternative of get rid of some of the trains or <laughs> or her. <laughs> and so he brought a bunch of stuff in. And these he had added details to, like the handbrake chain and all that stuff, speed recorders. He oh, hadn't nice. weathered them. So I bought them. And as soon as we got moved in here in New Orleans and stuff, they were a couple of the first ones I put decoders in and put LEDs in. So I just started weathering one of them today. I went, okay, need to get some weathering on this. Because that was back when UP, you know, regularly <laughs> sent the locomotives through the, through the washer. So I said, okay, just a little under frame and some dust and exhaust soot. But, uh, yeah, they would be candidates for being changed out to a Tsunami 2 because they look, they look very good okay. running together. So, I mean, it's just a brutish you know, a C thirty seven is just a brute of a locomotive, so Oh yeah. Those are good those are good power. They they pull a lot too. 
Now, on on that particular model, I, I have a couple of the U30Cs, which is a virtually identical mechanism yeah. inside. There's that weight over the rear gear tower. And basically what I did was I cut that flat uh, just above. So there was still a little bit of weight in the frame and then drilled some holes down through that, that flat part that I just cut. And that allowed the sound to escape straight down through the gear tower yes. opening. So the sound would have a clear path going out, and I used a 16 by 35 mil speaker on it. Um, and like I said, again, it goes back to being able to use hand tools. So mm-hmm. if you put that in a vise and tie it up, you know, and, and just take your time and slow to start the cut, make sure it's straight and square, and then uh, just work it through, you can get that weight down. And then, like I said, drill a few holes in there. And uh, if you're really clever about it, one of the big things that you would lose doing that is – where the LED mounts, they've got these little a channel and little posts to hold the wires in place so that the LED doesn't pop right. loose. If you build if you build the the speaker enclosure to match kind of up underneath that that roof line, you can mount the LED into the speaker how into that speaker enclosure. Through, you know, drill a small hole in the side of the the uh, the yeah. baffle, mount the LED into that, and then run the wires out through the other side. So then that'll line it up with the, the LED, with the headlight casting so that you don't have to re-figure out how to mount the LEDs. Okay. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, I think when I put speakers in these, I recall having you know, modified the frames because there's, you know, there's somebody, well, it's probably Zemo. Uh, they call them Dumbos because they're like, what, 13 by 18 by 13, they're really deep. And I think I put two okay. of those in there uh, just in parallel. And so <laughs> there's a lot of volume because, yeah, they're projected. The sound projects down through the through the truck opening there. But I will keep okay. your recommendations and suggestions in mind when I take these apart to put the uh, – different board in it because I'll take advantage, I guarantee you, of that seven-band uh, uh, graphic equalizer. I love it. I just love it. Yeah. It, it really it really makes a big difference. And uh, like I said, you can you can emphasize this, the strength of the speaker and the weaknesses mm-hmm. and minim- or minimize the weaknesses. So It's uh, – well, and the other two that – I have older TSU 1000 and, and they're the, uh, proto EMD, the, uh, I'm sorry, E units, E89. Okay. And even mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. two 28 millimeter, uh, speakers, not the thin profile, but the typical high base, mm-hmm. you know, version of that, mm-hmm. the sound is just not that robust, even playing through the, your graphic equalizer on there. So that may be another candidate on there. Uh, go to a different speaker. I'll look at, see what your sound file sounds like on that. Uh, mm-hmm. The When you can listen to that, that's one of the things real quick. You point out the sound yeah. file. That's one of the things we have on our website is you can listen to every single one of our sound files on our website at soundtracks.com. Okay. So if you're not sure what a particular sound sounds like, you can hear it on our website. Okay. Uh, 
yeah, you're uh, you're 567 non-turbo uh, sound file, like on the uh, BW1000 or the old BW1000, AT1000, mm-hmm. whatever. It's just a beautiful sound mm-hmm. file. Yeah, you got the the whine, yep. you've got that guttural wrapping the exhaust. Uh, it's just an. I've got a couple F's that I run around here, and just notch them up, notch them down, just to listen to the sound because it's so cool. Yeah, you know that that is one of our most popular ones. But one of the things that we've been asked a lot was because they do transition. Yeah, um, that particular five sixty seven has the transition. So with the new Tsunami two, we have a new five sixty seven non turbo recording that uh ha- that we recorded off of a switcher so you still get that whining of the the crankshaft that you're hearing in that 567 but this time you get it without the transition and it and it's it's actually a pretty good new recording now is that now because i knew that there were transitioning versions of that prime mover and non-transitioning but i never asked the question okay what's the differentiation is it application? You just mentioned switcher. Well, basically, you know, and and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have never, you know, run a locomotive myself. So there's 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 going to be some modeler speak in this. But basically, <laughs> when when the the locomotives were first starting up, they needed the most traction to get the train yes. moving, and so the traction motors were wired in parallel. And that way is so that they were all uh, set with the maximum amount of current to get those to get that locomotive moving. And then what would happen is once you got past a certain speed, the transition happened and they basically rewired the traction motors from ther- from parallel to series. And the idea was that you would maximize the effect, the, the effort of the, the electricity. So you weren't using okay. as much, but also maintaining your speed. And so you weren't needing as much. And so that's what the transition okay. was uh what it was for and so with a switcher you're doing a a lot of low speed pulling cuts of cars and moving back and forth and you're usually at low speeds even though you may cut up to notch five or six or something like that to get that cut of cars moving and so the transition it is not as evident or it's just not there depending on on what you're doing uh introduction to the dash twos it was all done solid state and so you and i would never hear it uh, transition the way it does with that classic 567 where you hear it, you know, throttle out, you hear that prime mover drop to idle, the transition is made, and then it notches back okay. up. Uh, you don't hear it with the Dash 2 stuff. And so that's why the 645 and, and 645 non-turbo don't have stuff like that because that was typically with the Dash 2 electronics. Okay. All right. I, I got to interject and say I really, really like that that non-transition eight-cylinder 567 sound file you got it, i really one, like it. it it sounds so good it does and it's one of my favorites because i can honestly say i was the one did the recording on that one so it's one of my favorites <laughs> on your the 567 for the ease do you do two distinctive sound files or is it like the previous sound file that the distinctive sound was really at startup well and that's where you're going to hear it more um, you, you do hear the two independent prime movers start up on the okay. series. Um, and then, and then they're mixed together. So you hear them 
And so if you were to put the, the, the standard 567 next to the dual 567, uh, you'll hear a difference in the way the idle sounds because in the dual, you're, of course, you're hearing two prime movers. And so the sound is different. And, and that is, you know, one of the selections on the Tsunami 2 is you get the EMD 567 with no transition. You get the EMD 567 with the transition. You get the 640, I'm sorry, 567 turbo and the dual 567 for the E units. And that's for your, for your choices on okay. the decoder, uh, to, to pick to match the model that you're installing it into. Um, and so you, we've got 567 pretty covered with that, with that one decoder. Um, just to finish out the choices, you get a 645 non-turbo, 645 turbo, dual 645, 710, and a 710 G3T2, which would be of the uh, SD70 ACEs. And that's your nine selections of the prime movers on the, on the uh, EMD decoder, which pretty much will cover any, any era that you would model. So you can go into your, your shop and say, I'm looking for a decoder for an EMD, and then they can stop you there because then it doesn't matter. You'll get you the EMD decoder. Then you just pick the board format and go. Okay, I like to keep it simple. So does our production floor, quite honestly. But this was, you know, it was done because it gives you, the modeler, a lot of choices. Um, I just realized I expanded a little bit on the steam decoder, but I didn't really cover the selections in the diesel. You get up to nine prime, up to nine diesel prime movers. You get 43 different horns to, to choose from. You get, uh, again, 12 bells with the different ring rates. But they're on, the, on the diesel decoder, you get a different... There, there's an electronic e-bell, which you hear out of the more modern stuff, but there's only one ring rate because it's a, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a digitally played recording of a bell. It's not an actual bell anymore. And so there's only one ring rate. So there's only one ring rate in our decoder. So instead of, of 53 choices, you get 48 choices for the bells. Um, but you get different air compressors and different things that you can then again, customize the decoder to match the model. Um, and there's a there's a good mix of, of bells in there. Like I said, everything from the early, you know, ka-clang, ka-clang, all the way down to the modern e-bell in there. Um, and one of the features of the Tsunami 2 that uh, you can do is you can actually have the bell triggered when you press the horn. Um, that will do it automatically. So you would select your bell. Let's say you selected bell number 10 uh, with the ring rate. And to do that with the horn, you just add 128 to the CV selection value. So in this case, you would select CV 122 to a value of 138, and then you'll get bell selection number 10. But every time you blow the horn, the bell will automatically trigger and start to ring autumn, you know, for a set period of time. And that's dictated by what's called the crossing hold time in uh, uh, CV 60. And it determines how long that light will continue to flash, or in this case, the bell will continue to ring after you release the horn button. Excellent. Now, you had a story you wanted to tell? Yeah, so I was just going to say with the new uh, 567 non-transition, um, I just got done working on with with the new Tsunami 2, I just went ahead and finished up working on a uh, uh, SW900 that the, you know, in the Mopac paint that I, that I model. And uh, anyway, I was interesting because I can tell people now that I detailed and painted the exterior, but I also did the recording for the prime mover. So in a way, I custom detailed the interior of the model as well. So I can say I had credit in that in both hands. Very good. 
<laughs> so doing the inside fun. and it's a fun out. little thing. Yep, kind of fun to be able to say that you that I did well, that. Where'd you guys go to record that file? That particular one was recorded in Oklahoma City, uh, working with the Oklahoma City Railroad Museum. Uh, we were up there one year for the Oklahoma City train show, and we arrived a day early so we could go out and do some recordings in the morning, and uh, and um, and then work on the uh, uh, set up the trade show booth and do the show over the weekend. Cool. So that was fun. We got to run back and forth. So we were pulling their their. Uh, I think they call it their Holiday Express train back and forth. So we got the deco- we got the uh, recordings of the locomotive, both light and heavy. So we were able to get some different record different sounds and uh, uh, really try to reproduce what the locomotive's doing. Okay, and then you know because I've began reading the manual for the Tsunami Two diesels, and I like what you've done with F five. And F6, so that you can notch mm-hmm. up, notch down. Uh, I think. Yeah, so it, just real quick to clarify for the listeners, it's a auto manual notching now. So previous generation, you had to pick auto notching, which was throttle-based notching of the diesel engine up and down. Or you had manual notching, which gave you independent control, uh, different from the, the commanded speed step. But with the new Tsunami 2, we now have the auto notching, which we talked about last time with the dynamic digital exhaust. So it'll actually notch up based on the load on the motor as well. But now you can override that using the F5 and the F6 button to manually override and notch it up or notch it down. So say if you want to crawl up a grade, it's a you know a one and a half percent grade with a coal train. Um, if for any reason you wanted to be heavier, you could notch all the way up to notch eight. Uh, manually override it, and then when you cut the throttle back down, the decoder will then go back down to idle and uh, uh, coast. But go ahead. I just wanted to make sure we they knew what that was. I uh, know. I was just when I was reading about the digital dynamic exhaust, uh, and I came across that. I thought that is really, really cool uh, to do because I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before you had to set CV, what, 116 at a specific value to be able to uh, F9, F10, manual notch up, manual notch down. It's a lot simpler now. Right. It is. And and one of the best features of either the dynamic digital exhaust and the manual override is, you know, you not not once do you lose control of your locomotive. Um because you always have throttle control. You can manually notch it by pressing a button up and down, but you still can stop the locomotive. So if you're running around the corner and you find out, you know, Bill is stopped on the grade because he was having problems with one of his locomotives. So he took it off and he's over at the workbench. This still gives you the ability to stop without running into his train. Which is always an important consideration. (laughs) I think. Exactly. Yeah, don't want to. I agree. Don't want to blow that red. We don't really have working ATS shoes, so uh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. With all the expanded CVs that you guys have introduced because of the additional features and controls, and you're using index CVs, mm-hmm. 
I think we covered before. I was going to say, I'm sorry. I recall from the previous conversation, uh, Tsunami 2 does a nice handshake with Decoder Pro in JMRI. Okay. Yeah. That is right. correct. But if I wanted to just become more familiar with what I'm doing and how it's working, I can go in with the manual and just program, right, without Decoder Pro? That's correct. Um, you know, I like Decoder Pro. I think it's a great tool, and it's given people a, a lot of opportunity to be able to uh, have the confidence to program decoders without having to look okay. at the manual because they've put it into pretty concise terms and, and check boxes and slider bars, you know, to kind of give you a sense of what you're doing. But ultimately, like you said, if you wanted to understand what the feature, how it, how it works and how we explain the feature and how to take advantage of it that, you know, they may not fully cover the details of, of why they may have the how, but they might not necessarily explain the why, which personally I'm, I'm a big why person. I like to know why things happen or why things are done a certain way as opposed to doing it another way. And, and especially if you look at, you know, innovation and, and, and especially in an engineering department, you can't look at the at the how so much. You have to look at the why. So the why helps answer how to make it better and how to improve it. And so by looking at the manual, it'll explain the feature. And we've tried to write it in English terms so anybody can pick up that manual and be able to follow and program the decoder and set it up. And so, you know, we give you an example of a real-world scenario and why you would want it. And then here's how you set the decoder up. And reading the manual really will give you a lot more in depth, like you said, of the information of how a particular feature works. Okay. Hey, George, let, let's back up a little bit. We, we're, since we're touching upon programming and touching upon, you know, things that we need to get, you know, we were talking mm -hmm. about decoders, we are talking about speakers. I, mm -hmm. Is there any requirement for a booster on the programming track for the Not with the new hardware. Not could, with the could, new hardware. Could, could, could you go into a little bit of detail on that? Because I think Certainly. Uh, that, that's a major thing between the Tsunami and the Tsunami 2. I, I would agree. And and so to kind of give you a little bit of, of reference here. So the, the original Tsunami, the processor that was chosen uh, had to be that way because it was doing so much to alter both the operation, the, the audio signals, the operation when you're using your brakes and, and, and you know, processing the signal and, and, you know, altering the way the decoder's playing back all the sounds, the processor had to be very, very powerful. The byproduct of that, unfortunately, was also power hungry. And because of that, it, the power consumption exceeded, it was right on that, he that threshold, but it just slightly exceeded what the NMRA recommends. And again, we go from recommendation to, from standard to recommendation. Uh, recommends the, the decoder be able to power and communicate on the programming track. And so we had a product uh, that we actually still offer and, and, and have in our product line, but it's called the Programming Track Booster or the PTB100. And the idea behind that product was to amplify the signal on the programming track to a power level that the Tsunami processor and other sound decoders at the time could wake up and follow along and be able to communicate and program read and write CVs on the programming track. Now, one of the innovations we did with our programming track booster that isn't available in a competing product is we had status indicator LEDs 
that would visually give you that confirmation that your decoder has communicated and has accepted the programming. So you had that nice warm fuzzy feeling inside when you saw the decoder acknowledge and communicate back and forth. Um, now, this wasn't mandatory for all uh, programming tracks. There were some of the isolated programming tracks that operated at full power right out of the package based on the DCC system. And so it varied from DCC system to DCC system. And again, it goes back to following the recommended practice or if you, they went off on their own and said, well, we're not going to do the recommended, we're going to do it this way. And that was kind of what we were faced at, with at the time. Uh, was we had so many things we wanted this decoder to do, but ran out, ran into uh, processing capabilities. So we had to go with that processor. And so this was, you know, like I said, this was an add-on product that you could buy. Retail price is $59.95 that you can add into your programming track. Now, with the current uh, hardware on the Tsunami 2 and even the Econami, the process or the uh, programming track booster is not necessary anymore because the power consumption level is so much lower you know as we talked about with you know comparison or comparing the uh, current keeper consumption but the the processor is a lot more efficient and and it's lower power requirements but it's able to do more than the original uh, tsunami processor was able to do and so therefore you no longer need a programming track booster to program it on your programming track now you can just simply hook it up and 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 go and put it on your on your programming track without any need to worry about the the initial hardware needed. So, so straight from the Digitrack you know, Zephyr, looking, no 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 programming track booster, just straight from the Zephyr, say, and you can program a Tsunami too. Correct. Okay. Correct. So any of the Digitrack systems, any of the the uh, uh, NCE systems, any of the Easy DCC or MRC, all of those now work without a booster. You see, Paul, you don't have to hook up that booster after all. Well, I tell you, I'm if you already have it, it, it'll still play nice. Well, just say if you already have it, it'll still play nice with the original, with the uh, new Tsunami twos and the Economies, but you don't need it if you don't want it. Oh, so the, so it's also for the Economy then too. The it does not need a boost uh, programming track booster. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. None of the new hardware in the Economy or the Tsunami 2 need the booster. It's only for the original Tsunamis that, uh, that, of our product anyway that required it. Okay. You know, I'm racking my brain for any other sort of like getting started questions here. Paul, do you have anything? No, I think uh, George has done a good job of covering it because to me, the next questions would be about nitty gritty subjects of, you know, how to fine tune, yeah. tweak the performance and so forth. Yeah. How about a yeah. question that's simple, like which one of your decoders would you suggest to use on O scale? Oh, good. The O scale, uh, again, it goes back to current draw. So if you do your stall current and you have a model that draws less than two amps, you can use our TSU 2200 uh, or the PNP board. Um, most of the O scale stuff tend to draw those two and a half to three amps, in which case I would recommend our Economy Eco 400 which is available in stores now, or within, I think the last uh, update I heard was probably they'll be in production towards the uh, end of March, um, but the TSU 4400, which will be our 4-amp Tsunami 2 version, um, again, in steam, the four diesels and electric uh, will be available uh, probably the end of March, um, barring any, they said they've got to do a revision, they're doing another test, and if that all works well, They'll go into production towards the end of March. 
Um, so those are you can order those for, through your hobby shop now, and when they're available, we'll start shipping them out right away. Okay, fair enough. Hey Jim, are are most O scale models dual motor? Ah, uh, that depends, but many of them are. Oh, I see. Many of them are, but not all of them. Uh, the some of the brass units are not the uh, most, well, not most, but many of the Weaver units are not. The Red Caboose GP9 isn't. Um, the Atlas SW9 and MP15s are single motor units. But yes, m- many of them are dual motor, yeah. Well, if you end up with a dual motor, again, if you're, if you're, as long as your stall current is less than four amps, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if, let's for argument's sake say if you have a dual motor model that stalls at, say, five amps or six amps, there's two ways around it. One is you could wire your motors in series, and that's going to reduce the power consumption, but it's also going to cut your motor speed into half since your two motors are, are sharing the power. So that may not necessarily be an option if you're going to be running multiple units together. Uh, the other option would be to put a second decoder on the second motor um, that's capable of handling whatever the current draw is of one motor by itself. I don't think most of the modern ones, I, I think, you know, they routinely pull three and a half, four amps, I think. Yeah, well, and in that case, you should be fine. Generally, what I do is pull the two motors out and have somebody remotor it into one motor. So, <laughs> Oh, gotcha. <clears throat> because I just don't understand the whole two-motor thing. So, Big locomotives got to pull big trains. Apparently. More power, okay. the Tim Thomas rule. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Just, just slap a, you know, slap a motor out of a, uh, oh, out of a chainsaw or something in there, you know. <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. My, my, you Good know what? Resist. I actually Sorry. do have one more question for you, George, because sure. From what what I understand about the tsunami too is that the motor control algorithms have been greatly changed and improved for the low end speed on the on the tsunami too, and the economy. My question is, is there any sort of provision for a non-sound motor or non-sound decoder, excuse <laughs> me, for, uh, for, you know, like slugs and B units and stuff like that where we're just not really interested in uh, having a, a sound decoder in? Well, we do have a line of non-sound decoders uh, that we do offer. Um at this moment, they're still using the original hyperdrive, uh, but again, they're low power consumption, so they're, they tend to run a little bit better than even the original tsunamis just by themselves. So they're fairly easy to consist. That's part of the design of the mobile decoders. Um, at some point, I'm sure uh, engineering has it on their to-do list to add the hyperdrive to the mobile decoder line, but at this moment, it doesn't have the advanced motor control features, but it does have you know, a lot of provisions, you can actually get it pretty slow and uh, uh, just crawling and therefore better run with the new, with the new uh, Tsunami 2 Hyperdrive 2. And I, I think that the next question will be held off for the next time around when we start getting the, the decoder inside the locomotive. 
and then starting to tweak some of the settings to get things to run at the same speed and all that. So I think it's an excellent idea. Yep, yep we can cover all that. Yeah, because I was thinking the ne- you know the next few we could even go over you know a specific feature like we can talk about hyperlights and you know kind of highlight some of the cool features we built into that or you know uh, we can do one in calibrating the new dynamic digital exhaust or you know however whichever way you guys want to take it uh, you know I'm be happy to do some more of these with you guys all the time. Cool. Excellent idea. By then I will have a couple of these installed and have some uh, very pertinent questions I'm sure. Okay. Well, you know, we've been, I've been uh, really involved with the development and helping work with the engineers. So uh, I've got a lot of insight as to the inside of how the decoders were working, but admittedly there was a little bit of selfishness going on because I would hear a new feature and we'd be talking about like, Ooh, I could do this with this particular thing or this locomotive I have can implement that particular feature. Like, uh, you know, I don't model, I don't have a whole lot of Santa Fe units, but I do have some. And so one of the new fireman ed features is the air conditioner that would run in the background. <laughs> and so I could, you know, you know, so you can have the cab air conditioner running in the background on the Santa Fe unit that I wouldn't have on the mop, you know, so it's just little cool things like that, that I would be, you know, just fascinated with. And like I said, it was that, it was kind of that, the, that development process that made me get out there. And, and even, you know, if I was, Putting down a section of track, I was doing something every night, so at least I made progress, and, and I was able to get most of this layout built, like I said, in about three months' time. And it gave me a place to do all that. So the first one I did uh, with Tsunami 2 that I had a, a prototype unit in uh, was an Athern Jeep 15, because I've just always really loved those little 15s. Uh, I have a friend of mine that curb, calls them the urban tongue yeah. motors. Um, <laughs> so... And so that was one of the first ones I did with Tsunami 2, and I was just having so much fun running it around the layout. And, you know, now I've got about six locomotives equipped. Just time gets away from you very quickly. Uh, I should qualify that. Six diesel locomotives that run in my actual model time era. Um, I've got four steam engines that are done, and I don't, even, I don't really model steam, but I've got a lot of them because the steam engine just adds so many more different elements to it. It's just been a lot of fun uh, really bringing those to life, too. Oh yeah, that's all for me. I, I I can't think of anything more for you, George, the, the, to kind of get people started. So appreciate all your time. Hey, no problem. Glad to do it for you guys. And and just I'll finish up. If uh, any of your listeners or, or anybody has any questions as far as application, uh, like I said, check our website first. And if you're still not sure or, or want to f- discuss it further, feel free to call us, and uh, we'll be happy to help you know fill in those questions for you. And, and, you know, help you select the right one and even help guide you if you come across a uh, installation problem that you ran into. Say, hey, how do I solve this particular issue? And we'll help you the best we can. Uh, that's one of the advantages is we do have people there at the office, uh, you know, through standard business hours that is there to help answer those questions for you. Very good. Very good. All right. I was going to say that, um, you know, anybody that has any questions about installation or anything like that, they could they could ask Paul, and then after he gives you the wrong answer, then you can go, you can go and, and, and ask the experts. Okay, that's an interesting. Oh, wow, throw you under the bus there. Ah, well, you know, <laughs> they're certainly not going to ask me because I've got no idea. Well, it's actually a lot easier than it appears. 
it's just once you get one or two under your belt, then suddenly it it comes really easy. I, I think there's there's also kind of an uh, art side that's I, I think the decoder installation's the easy part. It's figuring out the speaker part and the most ideal setup for that, and that that always there's never a silver bullet for it. You know, it, it's one of those things you you get it installed and you hear it. And you're happy with it, and then you kind of like start wondering in the back of your mind, can it sound any better, or am I yeah. holding back this tone on this at all? So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of like nerve-wracking, I, I guess. I think to go along with your point is, I mean, then you have somebody who's like Professor Kleisler, who is a sound engineer and is the, I'll say, a sound artist, and then when he plays with it, then you're like. Oh, that's how it's supposed to sound. So there probably is a right way, but many of us don't have the ear to find it. Yeah. Or, or know sometimes it. just the experience, you know? Well, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was just about to say. It, we know it's right when we hear it, but we just don't know how to get there. But that, that goes right, to Right, exactly. I mean, because there's a whole science beside, behind the uh, speaker baffle and and the dimensions of a of what would be considered the ideal baffle and to kind of sum it up really quickly is it's about a one-to-one-to-one ratio so if you have a one inch round the ideal side for that would be about an inch deep Um, but of course we have to make compromises to fit it in the model and so that's where you have to you know kind of look at it and and utilize the space as best as possible Um, i've got speakers that you know kind of going back to that sw 1500 i was talking about is extremely less than ideal in size but it fits and you know it takes some special cutting to make the the baffle fit into that particular area but some baffle is better than no baffle and can that can that speaker sound better probably given the space i don't know probably not because you know there isn't much space there but using that same speaker in, say, a uh, uh, GP38-2 where you have the space to do that, you're, it's going to sound like two different locomotives, even though they may be using the same prime mover. That's a good point. So, yeah, speaking to your experience point, again, it's, it's what is ideal. And there are acoustics and there's scientific uh, uh, algorithms to determine the, the ideal size. But like I said, if you, you, know, if you have the room, you want to try to do a one-to-one-to-one uh, dimension volume compared to to the surface area of the speaker but if you can't then just get as close as you can and uh utilize the space as best as possible and like i said some conditions and and you know kind of speak to chris's point is that every model is going to be a little bit different even though they're similar you may find that the installation of a particular speaker may be completely different yeah and there's an interplay too there or there's a factor that the body contributes the space on the inside color sound whether you fire the speakers up like on an atherin where you've got open fan op- uh, or you've fired mm-hmm. it down. And so now you're getting a dispersion off that track, the ballast. There's a number of influences on what we hear and the quality of it. So I find it ex- yep. just really enjoyable to play with this stuff and tweak it. I find it relaxing. Well, that's good. Maybe so you, you could relax to a few of my it. locomotives, Paul. I'll give you a mailing address. <laughs> of course, when you get them back, they'll all have LEDs in them, too. There you yep. go. All right. So 
this has been good. There's a a lot of comments coming in and likes. Yeah. And I put up, I think, four videos this week. Mm -hmm. And I've got a couple more already recorded. They just have to be edited. And uh, they're photo run-bys, but they've been getting a lot of play because I'm just embedding the link back to, to YouTube. I'm amazed. I think one of them's got like 152 views in two days. Oh, neat. So, and one of them, George, is that uh, ST40-2 that sounds so good with the uh, series parallel speakers. I'll confirm the link and just email it to you because it's just okay. people listen to it and go, how does that sound come out of there? And I just go, I don't know. <laughs> It's magic. <laughs> it's magic. Yes, it's just magic. Okay. Very good. Well, guys, no you have problem. a good night. All, All right. Thank you. Talk thank later. You. Have, have a good night. Bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye.